pastor started a series here recently called Set Free From Me. Say Set Free From Me. And he's going he's gonna to continue in that vein. Today, I, I want to somewhat stay in that vein, and I want to talk about being set free from fear. Someone say fear. fear. Come on, say fear. fear. And let me just start off by saying this. How many of you know that there's so much fear out there right now? You know, I know I haven't been alive long, but in my 20-something, 26 years on this earth, I don't remember a time when people were more afraid. And I, like I said, I know I haven't been around that long. But it just seems like there's so much fear out there about anything and about everything. And, you know, if you, if you remember back to 2001, you remember 9-11 kind of changed everything for us. Is that right? It's kind of a game changer in the sense of it kind of woke us up to the realities uh, in the world. And you remember that, that moment after 9-11. I'll, I'll never forget being a kid and being checked out of school. My mom checked me out of school. And uh, I said, what's going on? And, you know, at that time, no one knew what happened. She goes, you know, there was some attacks in New York and just pulling you out in case. And I just remember being a kid thinking, like, this is the kind of stuff you see on movies. You know, this doesn't seem like real life. But those type of things have only escalated. You know, just this past year, you had the... This year and last year, you had the, the, the attacks in Paris. You had the attacks in Nice, France. You had the attacks in Belgium. We have them constantly in Nigeria with Boko Haram and all these places. Then you have the ISIS. I mean, would you have ever thought that there would be an, a terrorist organization that would occupy territory in three countries and seek to establish a caliphate? I mean, it, a lot, if you would have asked us this 10 years ago, some of us would have said probably not, right? But what we're seeing... You know, a lot of things take place. There's, there's uncertainty about, you know, what's going to happen with China and relations with Russia. And, there's, and then on top of that, you, we have the, the worst political season we've had probably in history. How many, of you are, how many of you are ready for this political season to be over? I believe it's very important to vote. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. How many know that we need to be involved in politics? And, you know, I'm not, I'm not like a pacifist. I, I do believe the kingdom of God is advancing in every area of society. But at the same time, I'm ready for this election to be over because it has caused so much division, so much fear. Everyone's on edge, you know, about everything. And there just seems to be a lot of fear out there. Would you agree with me about that? But one of the... One of the, uh, you know, we can say, yes, we're worried about the economy, worried about war, we're worried about this, we're worried about Trump, we're worried about Hillary, all these things. And some of these are legitimate concerns, okay? But here's the one common denominator that you'll find that all of this produces and, and, and is producing is that more than ever, people are uncertain about the future. People actually have legitimate fear about the future. I was, I was listening the other day, and they said because of this election, people are actually traumatized. Therapists and psychologists have actually started seeing people who have been traumatized. And I thought, you know, at first I thought, are they being a little, that's, that's kind of extreme, you know, maybe they're being a little bit of a baby. But then I thought to myself, I can see how all of this together 
if, if you're already prone to fear, if you already have fear in your life, all of this stuff adds anxiety. I'm telling you, before you know it, this stuff can spin out of control in your life. Next thing you know, you're going crazy. And so, so people were literally, you know, taking on fear more than ever. And I was reading Time Magazine, and Time Magazine, one of the uh, authors of this uh, particular article, he said currently, and I'm quoting him, currently fear has become in some ways fashionable. Think about that. So if you're not afraid of something right now, you're out of fashion. And don't get me wrong, we got a lot of legitimate concerns out there, right? A lot. But I, I want to talk to you today about this, the, the spirit of fear, kicking the spirit of fear out of our lives. How we can have concern, how we can have responsibility, how we can have uh, things that, that we're worried about, but how they don't have to turn into tormenting fear. And we want to talk about how to kick torment out of our lives. Amen? You with me this morning? And this is a question I've been asking myself lately. I've actually been taking, because over the last few weeks, I've actually been meditating on fear. Not fear itself, but like, like uh, the meaning of fear, how fear affects our lives, the role of fear, and all these different things. And one of the things I've been thinking about is this. What would my life look like if fear wasn't a part of it? And I want you to ask yourself that question. What would your life look like? Would things be different if fear was not a major influence in your life? And I know a lot of us right up front, we think, you know, I'm not, I'm not afraid of much. Well, you may not be aware that you're afraid of something. See, sometimes fears are so embedded or so deep, they can even stay dormant in your subconscious mind and be a part of your personality without you realizing it because you've tolerated it. You can be a a strong, successful, healthy person, and on the outside don't seem like afraid of much, but you can have real legitimate fears. Not everyone has the same kind of fears. Are you with me? And so I've been taking inventory of my own life because I've noticed that whenever we make decisions out of fear, we usually always make the wrong decision. So I begin to ask myself, what would my life look like without the influence of fear? Let me ask you this way. What goal could you accomplish if fear was not a factor in your life anymore? Who would you be if fear wasn't a factor? Amen? Let me qualify some of this. How many know there's healthy fear and then there's bad fear? Okay, obviously the first type of fear that's healthy, actually I would say it's, it's, it's really the only healthy fear, is called what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. How many of you believe in the fear of the Lord? I know this isn't necessarily a popular topic these days, like out, out there, but it's still very valid and important. Amen? But what is the spirit of the fear? The Bible calls it the spirit of the fear of the Lord. What is it? It's not torment. For some people, it has been torment, right? Because that's what religion has done. It's, it's, it's taught God in such a way that it seems that the fear of the Lord is a torment, but actually when you get to the root of the word fear, uh, the fear of the Lord in the scriptures, it means to be in awe of God. It means to be amazed by him. It means, it's, it's like if right now, if you were to stand, if you were to be transported from this place to right in front of Mount Everest, and let's just say you were standing at the base of Mount Everest, and you were to look up 
and you saw this mountain and you can't even see the top and you saw how big it was, you ever see something so big or so beautiful that something on the inside of you just says, wow. Something captivates you and it's like this healthy fear like, that's a big mountain or that's, you know, that's a tall building. Or, you see, that's what it's like times a million when you encounter God because when you see him in all of his splendor and all of his glory, he's so overwhelming that your response is awe. You see, the, the, the spirit of the fear of the Lord was never supposed to be torment for us. It was always supposed to be about reverence. You'll notice, you'll remember in the Bible, whenever an angel would come, oftentimes to visit or talk to someone, what would they do? Remember, almost every time in every story, it's, it's, it's the same narrative. They would, they would get afraid. And what would the angel then say? Fear. Fear. See, the reason why there's an initial fear is because you're coming in contact with something you're not used to. See, when the children of Israel came to the mountain of the Lord, remember when God invited them to the mountain? What happened, though, they saw how powerful he was, and they, said, and they told Moses, they said, Moses, we're afraid to talk to him. Would you go talk to God for us? Isn't that how it happened? And, then, and they said, Moses, you'll be our prophet. God is so scary to us, we're afraid to talk to him, yet God was inviting them. So do you understand that even though the fear of the Lord sometimes start with, it, it is sometimes a little frightening because he's so overwhelming, but ultimately the fear of the Lord is to lead you into relationship with him. Then once you're in relationship with him, the fear of the Lord doesn't keep you from coming to God. The fear of the Lord keeps you from running away from him. You know, if you look at Moses and Israel, the fear of the Lord had two different roles. Moses pressed in and had a relationship with God. And because Moses feared the Lord, he walked with God. And the Bible says he knew God's ways. But because Israel resisted, they allowed the fear of the Lord to become torment for them. They never pressed in to what they had access to. So I just want to clear that because there's a lot of religious garbage around this topic of fear of the Lord that some people are become afraid to approach God. Because I want to tell you something that in the new covenant, when Jesus shed his blood, the Bible says that you've been reconciled to God. And so the spirit of the fear of the Lord doesn't want to keep you from him. It actually wants to draw you into a relationship with him because the Bible says the spirit of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what the spirit of the fear of the Lord does is it keeps you in relationship with the Lord. It's like a healthy boundary. Can somebody say amen? amen. That is what you call healthy fear. I want to live all of the days of my life in awe of God. I'm not afraid to love him. I'm afraid to run away from him because I don't know what life would be like without him. Isn't it? That's what the fear of the Lord is. It's, it's being afraid of what it's like without God. How many know that life would be terrifying without God? So that, that, that's, that's the fear that we were created for. But then there's, there's, there's also instinctive fear. How many of you know, how many of you have ever been on a mountain or you've come to the top of a tall building and you look over and you see how far down it is? How many, like you felt your heart drop into your stomach? You know, an angel didn't have to tell you. God didn't have to speak to you. Your own instincts told you what? 
don't walk off this building. If you were to climb an active volcano, I don't, I don't, wherever there's an active volcano, in Hawaii or Guatemala, somewhere, if you were to climb an active volcano and you were to look in and see lava, you don't know why, but something would tell you, hot, 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 right? Don't jump. Don't step. Don't lose your balance. Because, see, that's an instinctive fear that God placed inside of you to protect you, okay? That's called healthy fear. Someone say healthy fear. You know why it's healthy? Because it's not tormenting. It lasts for one moment. You come to the edge, okay, don't go over it. You step back, it's gone. But the, Bible's t- the Bible makes it clear that there's another kind of fear that's so damaging to us, and it's the fear that leads to torment. I want you to turn with me to the uh, book of 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. It says this, there is no, someone say no, someone say no, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now, I want to put this in context really quickly. Is that okay? Say I. Just making sure you're with me. In the book of 1 John, in the verse right before this, John tells them, he says in verse 17, he says, in the day of judgment, we can have confidence. He says, you don't have to be afraid. In other words, he's saying this, you could stand before God as a believer on judgment. And you know what he says? He says, you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because perfect love casts out all fear. He goes on to say, as Jesus was in the world, so are you. In other words, he's saying because of your right standing with God as a believer, you don't have anything to worry about. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying you don't have to have fear because fear has to do with torment. God is not interested in tormenting you. The other, one of the other words that's used interchangeably with torment is the word punishment. So John is saying perfect love casts out fear And there's no fear in love because fear has to do with punishment or torment. You see what he's saying? So he's saying for the believer, torment and punishment is not your portion. Amen. That's good news. Fear has to do with torment and it has to do with punishment. Now, I want to tell you this, and this is where let's get real honest with ourselves and introspective. As a human being, and I will tell you as a pastor, in talking with hundreds of people over the years, I, I, and I can speak for myself, I'm talking to myself, the number one thing that I have seen hold people back from not reaching their potential or not reaching their destiny, it hasn't been Satan. It's been fear. Here's why. The Bible says he comes to steal, kill, and, but he can't do it without your permission. You understand? He can't steal your joy unless you let him. He can afflict you. He can tempt you. But 
you can't, he can't steal your destiny unless you give it to him. So, so, so many times, yes, the, the enemy is the author of some of the things, the afflictions or, or some of the lies and, and all these different things. But we have a choice in whom's report will we believe. Choose ye this day who you'll serve. Blessings. and You see what I'm saying? At, at some point, there's some responsibility of what is my belief system. And, and, and maybe it's not like, like Pastor was saying. Sometimes, yes, the devil attacks us. But sometimes it's me that's my own worst enemy. Sometimes it's the fear that I'm tolerating because you get what you tolerate. Sometimes it's the fear that I'm allowed in my life that is, is whether I realize it or not, it's got me on autopilot and I'm living my life because I haven't dealt with these fears. Amen. Living my life this way. And so I have found in talking to people, when you get to the root, obviously the number one need everyone has is salvation. Amen. A relationship with God. Outside of that, that's the most important thing. But outside of that, the number one thing I've seen hold me back and hold others back has been fear. Fear, you know, I, I talk to people throughout the years who've, who've told me, you know, Andrew, I, there's been a, a history of sickness in my family. And I'm afraid of getting sick. Maybe I'm speaking to someone in this room where you know someone like that. They live in constant fear that they're going to get sick. There are some people, here's a big one, and I, I keep hitting this one because this is a big one. There's a lot of people who live in fear of money, and what do I mean of that? I mean, there's a lot of fear that either you're not going to have enough money or that money's going to run out. Is that a legitimate fear that people have? That's a big fear. Because you know, especially with all the uncertainties in our world, a lot of people are worried about money. Am I going to have enough money? Will I have enough money to do this or this? Or can I go to college and this? Some legitimate concerns, but what it actually creates is it actually creates a fear of money. Rather than steward it, rather than steward money, we, we sometimes, not even being aware of it, start to fear money because we fear its lack. By the way, that's a major crisis among young people right now. You have young people graduating with $300,000 in student loan debt. That's a major concern for a lot of people. How many know that money adds a lot of pressure? But my point is, it's not the God's design that we live in tormenting fear over something like this. Amen. There is a way. Amen. Here's a big fear. N not fulfilling destiny. I mean, you know, that's a, that's a legitimate fear that we sometimes have. How many of you have ever been there where you've been afraid of not maximizing your potential? Wave at me. Fear of failure. Anyone ever had fear of failure? Some people succeed in life. On this one thing, they're so afraid to fail that they become successful because they're afraid to fail. There's a fear, a legitimate fear sometimes we have of repeating the past. Sometimes when there's patterns in our lives or cycles, it could be in our families or it could be based upon our own choices. That sometimes we fear, we don't trust ourselves. We fear that we're going to keep making the same mistakes over and over again. But here's, here's the biggest one that I've seen 
And just about everyone I've ever talked to who's dealt with fear, and I've dealt with it with myself, I still deal with it. Other people deal with it, and it's this. It's the fear of not being enough. It's the fear of feeling like not being enough for God, not being enough for a spouse, not being enough for a family, not being enough, fear of not being enough. Can I do, actually do what God has called me to do? I don't feel qualified. I don't feel enough. I don't feel like I have what it takes. Anyone ever been there? As a pastor, you know, working with young people, gotten the opportunity to disciple and, and work with young people who, who've come from a variety of backgrounds. And some of these young people have such a drive to succeed. But one of the things I, I begin to tell them, because what I just said, some people succeed because they're afraid of failing. And some people succeed because they're actually afraid of not being enough. So what, what they do is they, they work hard. They get everything they want. You can, you, you can be successful, have the best job, the job you want, the money you make, and still be unhappy. Do you know why? Because you can do all the right things for the wrong reasons. And when you get it, you can still be unhappy because you still don't feel like you're enough. Because success does not eradicate inadequacy. So what I tell, what I try to tell young people is this. Don't succeed because you're afraid of failing. Succeed because you live with a conviction that that's what you're destined for. Why does fear have to be an equation in success? Why do we have to live with the fear of not being enough or the fear of failure when we can be so convinced that we were created with a purpose? What if you lived with a greater conviction of greatness on your life than the fear on your life? Oh, some of you, some of you need to give me a better amen than that. Because if, 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 if I'm trying to do things in my life to feel a fill a fear gap, then when I get the thing that I'm desiring, that fear gap is not going to be gone. Because fear is tormenting. So I tell him, I said, you're going to succeed not because you're afraid of failing, but because, because of the conviction of the greatness of God on your life. Because you were created with a purpose. You know, I've gotten to the place where the only thing that I want in my life is the fear of the Lord. <laughs> Amen? That's the only fear that I want to tolerate. Because what it says in 1 John four eighteen, it says this. It says, if we have fear in us, then it means that we have not been perfected in love. Here's the scary thing about fear. Okay, you ready? I, I, I don't like to spend time on the negatives, but let me just hit this negative. Here's the scary thing about fear. And Job said this in Job chapter 3, verse 25 through 26. He says, for the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. Now, people have coined different terms for this, but some people call it negative faith. To where when we have a fear that drives us, what happens is sometimes we end up 
focusing so much on what we're afraid of that we actually bring it to pass because subconsciously we're so focused on it that our actions make it happen. I know people who I've, I've watched go in and out of bad relationships who are afraid of repeating bad relationships, but yet they find themselves always in the same relationship. Because fear will never lead to a solution. You hear me today. Fear will never lead to a way out. Fear will never lead to anything good because fear has to do with torment and punishment. Whenever there's a fear present in our life, it will torment us and it will make us feel like we deserve punishment. Job said, that which I have feared has come upon me. But he, he, here's the worst part about fear that I think. Sometimes, yes, that happens. Sometimes the things that we fear, we actually make happen because we focus on it so much. Sometimes we focus so much on not being broke that we just stay broke. Sometimes we focus so much, sometimes we focus so much on I, I don't want to be unhappy, but because we're so focused on being unhappy, we never give our chance ourselves to be happy. Sometimes we're so focused on problems that we can't find the solutions because you see there's a thing, there's a gift that God gave us. It's called focus. Whatever you focus on manifests in your life. That's why David said this. He said, he says, I will magnify the Lord. Magnify means to put under a microscope. It means to bring it close. So whatever we focus on, whatever we magnify with our mind multiplies. It multiplies. But here, here's the worst thing about fear. It's not, to me, the worst thing about fear is not that sometimes that some of the things we fear we make happen. The worst thing about fear is that most of the things that we fear never happen. It's that we spend so much time worrying about things that don't matter and things that will never happen. And, and all it's done... Oh, I wish you would hear me. All it's doing is draining you of all of your energy and resources that you could be using to focus on what God has for you. Have you ever been upset at yourself for letting things bother you? There, there, just recently, there was some stuff that I felt stupid. Looking back now, I said, I can't believe I worried about that. That stole so much joy. I stayed up too late at night thinking about it, and it never even manifested. That's the thing about fear, is that fear is a lie. Fear is a lie. And he, 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 this is, this is, the, this is the, the worst part. It goes further. This is another reason why fear is so bad. Because, see, we were only created for the fear of the Lord. Is that right? So here's the principle. Whatever you fear, you serve. The reason why we fear God is because we're called to love him and fear him and to serve him. Right? So whatever you fear in your life, you end up serving. This is why money becomes a stronghold, because if you're afraid of money, you end up serving money and it becomes a stronghold. Whatever you're released from, whatever you're not afraid of, you can conquer. Health. 
Did you know that you can worry yourself sick? You can be so afraid of being sick, you get sick. That's the truth. That's the truth. Study after study has shown, you know, you can stress yourself into a heart attack. So here, I don't like acronyms, but here's my acronyms for fear. False evidence appearing real. But I want to make this very clear. How many know there's nothing wrong with being cautious or making good choices? I'm not, I'm not saying that some of our concerns aren't legitimate because how many know there's so many legitimate concerns in our lives? So like health, I need to take my health seriously. How many know I need to eat healthy? How many know the water burger at 2 a.m.? How many know the honey butter chicken biscuit at 2 a.m. is not a good choice? Except on Sunday, because it's the Lord's Day. No, I don't know. It's just not a good idea. So I can be cautious about my health. I can worry about my, I mean, not worry. I can be cautious and think about what I eat. You know, before I got married, I got married a month ago. Before I got married, I lost 20 pounds because I wanted to be healthy, right? But here's the difference. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I wanted, I'm not going to lie to you. I was like, you know, I'm getting married. I need to be healthy. And it was worth it. Amen. So it's good to be responsible and it's good to be cautious. Here's my point is the Lord didn't design us to live in fear about these things. About anything. We're, we're not meant to live tormented. We're meant to live responsible. We're, we're, we're meant to be powerful and to make good choices. But we're never meant to live in constant fear. And you can actually be so fearful of sickness that you make yourself sick. False evidence appearing real. This is what John ate. This is what Jesus says of the enemy. He says he was a murderer from the beginning. Someone say from the beginning. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks. Listen to how this translation says it. When the enemy lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. All fear can be traced back to a lie that you believed about God and yourself. Since the beginning of time, The enemy's tactic has been the same. It's been very cunning and it's very simple, but it's been effective. He comes to Eve. Now, we know that Adam and Eve were made in the image and the likeness of God. Is that correct? Someone say image. Someone say likeness. And then the enemy comes comes to them, comes to Eve, the woman. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. And, he's, and, and, and he says, the Lord doesn't want you to eat of that tree because in the day that you eat of it, you'll be like him. But Eve was already made in the image and likeness of God. So his number one tool in his belt is the power of suggestion. 
He suggests to you things and you determine what you're going to believe and what you're not going to believe. So in other words is Adam, I mean, Adam and Eve had everything they needed in God, but Satan convinced them that they needed something outside of him. Every deception is tied to the perception of lack. See, God wants us to go to him to meet. All, he says in Philippians, he says, uh, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in mercy in Christ Jesus, right? So, but what the enemy does is he tries to convince us you're not complete in Christ. What you're looking for is not in Christ. You have to take control of the situation and you have to figure out how to do this. So what the enemy does is he comes and he suggests a lie to us. And when we believe the lie, you know what happens when, when, when fear sets in? You start getting anxious, right? You start getting fearful about money and anxious. The next thing you know, you're not trusting God as your provider. Then what do you do? Okay, I, I, I got to make this happen. I got to make it happen on my own. Or I'm unhappy. I don't feel good enough for anyone. I don't feel good enough for myself. I don't feel like I'm good enough. So what, what do you do? Rather than find your identity and find your wholeness in the source, you go and try to find it yourself. See, that's what fear does. Fear will drive us out of the, out of the rest and out of the faith that we find in Christ. And it will cause us to look for solutions outside of him that end up causing and wreaking destruction in our lives. So the enemy will torment us with a lie like you're not good enough. You're not going to fulfill your purpose. You're, you're, you're never going to have the money you need to fulfill your purpose. You're not going to have a, a good marriage. You're going to get sick just like your dad or this. He'll, he'll suggest all of these things. And when we take them on, we take on all of that anxiety. Here's another way of looking at it. In some ways, in some ways, fear is thinking that we can do a better job than God. Because fear is saying, God can't handle this. I have to. God can't heal me. I have to go find it elsewhere. God can't bless me. I have to go make it happen. So God, don't get me wrong, God empowers our choices. We make Good choices. How many of you say amen? amen? Like I'm responsible to go to school. I'm responsible to get a job. I'm responsible to work hard. I'm responsible to make good choices. But at the end of the day, who is the source of our life? As it says in Acts 17, in him we move and live and have our being. I can be responsible. I can make good choices. But anytime I start, I step out of the rest and out of the faith in Christ, I step into dead works and I, I give fear an opportunity to torment me because I'm looking for something outside of Christ that's only found in him. Amen. Someone say amen. Amen. Turning over and say, you can't trust everything you think. <laughs> Is, isn't, it, isn't it amazing that when we start paying attention to our thought life, <laughs> somehow we think that everything we think is true.
you know, I'll, 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 get, I'll, get, I'll give you a pers- personal example, and I'll, I'll get very honest before I, before I close here shortly. When I got married, I got married a month ago, and <laughs> y'all are so funny. Amen. It's, my life has gotten better in every way, I promise. No, I mean, I'm telling you, I got married, and, like, my life was already blessed, but everywhere I turn, blessings are opening up. And I, I finally understood that scripture that says that when a man finds a wife, he finds favor with the Lord. I'm telling you. <clears throat> so... Well, I got married, I, you know, it's, other than salvation, it's, it's, it's the greatest gift. And, but when I got married, I, I started noticing some, some unresolved fears in me pop up. I started questioning myself, like, you know, do I have what it takes to be a good husband? You know, it's good to take inventory, but there, there, there's a time when you get out of just good reflection and you actually get into condemnation or, or, or guilt or shame. And I started to actually question my identity myself, like, do you have what it takes? And I got, I got a little worried. I'm like, you know, do I, you know, I've been so, you know, in love and I never, you know, do I have what it takes, you know? And I was talking to my friend and he was like, you know, that's normal and stuff. And he says, but I, I told him, I said, you know, it's actually making me kind of anxious. Like, I really don't want to fail at being a good husband. And he says, he said something to me that just stuck with me. And he says, you know, Whenever you're anxious or whenever you're fearful, it's because you're aware of what you're thinking, but you're not aware of what God thinks. And I, and I, and I, and I stopped and I thought, it's amazing sometimes how someone can say the simplest thing. And I thought, how many times in my life have I let my mind run wild here, I, here we sometimes are having inner dialogues with our own mind for years sometimes. And the key, the, there's such a simple way, there's, there's a simple solution to stop and say, wait, 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 be quiet. Bible says take every thought captive. I mean, quote it, but I, I realized I quote that scripture, but haven't always practiced it because it, it means take every thought captive. In other words, I can't afford to have a thought in my head that's not of him. So, so I, I, he said it, it. Just something simple stuck with me. I'm thinking, okay, okay, all of this dialogue going on in my head, all I have to do is say, shh, or just, shh, just stop. God, what do you think about me in this situation? Oh, no, no. What, you say I can do all things. Through Christ. In Philippians, it says that he causes us to will and to do. In other words, I can't even will and do on my own. I have to have his help. So in other words, see, the, see you see how he works in my mind. I was already starting to think, how am I going to make this happen? And the Lord is bringing me back into the place that, that he wants us to be like Adam was. Was that The point is, is that you can't do these things by yourself. The source is him. And so that's what he means by this. This is what he means, the scripture means by perfect love casts out all fear. I want you to catch this. He doesn't say perfect faith casts out fear. There's a reason. Because see, sometimes our faith is going to lack. 
There are some times where in my, in my despair or in my fear or in my doubt, I'm not going to have the ability in that moment to believe like I should. So where is my strength going to come from? It comes from the unfailing love of God. Here's why. Think about this for a moment. Do you remember being a child? In a moment with your parent, okay? Think about it back to a time when you were younger. And there was a moment that you knew, without a doubt, you were loved. 100% loved. You didn't think about it. You didn't have to worry about it. You knew they loved you. There's something about love that gives you courage. Because, see, love gives you confidence. Wait, someone loves me? There's something desirable about me? There's something worth love? See, love gives confidence because love sees the value. And so that's what it means by perfect love. See, the love that God gives, he just gives and gives. You know that his love doesn't run out. It just keeps giving, and he sees the value in you, in you that he placed in you, and his love is what gives you the confidence. Second Timothy 1, 7, for God has not given us a spirit of, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. It says, not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, a mind. It says he's given us a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. Listen to what David says in Psalm 139. I want you to catch this. Remember that David was a man after God's own heart his whole life. Is that right? And and, and David comes to this place in Psalm 139. How many know that you walk with the Lord long enough, you start learning things? He reveals things to you. And David comes to a place in his life in Psalm 139 where his relationship with God is so deep, he starts to be aware of how much God thinks about him. Now, automatically when I say that, you'd be surprised on the inside of us, some of us have a hard time believing that God thinks about us. Because if we make that statement, doesn't, does that mean that I'm selfish? I mean, doesn't God have bigger priorities? Doesn't he have to like balance the universe and keep Saturn spinning and Does he, does he actually have time to think about me? And David is convinced, and in Psalm 139, listen to what David says. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God? How great is the sum of them? If I should count them, they would be in more number than the sand. Someone say, wow. Have you ever been to the beach and you pick up a handful of sand? If I asked you to go pick up a handful of sand and count how many grains of sand are in there, could you tell me? No. If I told you to go pick up a whole truck full of sand, could you tell me how many grains of sand are in there? No. David said, 
How precious are your thoughts towards me? And if I were to try to number them, they would outnumber this sand. In another place, he says this, who is man that thou art mindful of me? In other words, David came to a moment, not just of poetic worship, but a moment of revelation that God is thinking about us. We didn't ask him to. We didn't force him to. He just does. Because God loves us, right? So think about the situation we find ourselves in when we allow ourselves to be tormented in fear. Think about how unnecessary it is. Here we are having all of this war between our ears, right? That's where the battlefield is, amen? Here we are being tormented and God is in heaven thinking about us while we're occupied thinking about all of these other things that not only don't matter, they're lies. But the moment, the moment the revelation turns on in your mind of how much you're loved by God, how much his thoughts are towards you. He told Jeremiah, I have plans and a future for you. And he, and he, and he says, not, not plans to harm you, but to bless you and to cause you to prosper. Those are the thoughts. See, see the, there, there's a shift that happens when your focus becomes off of your fears and onto the God. That's what the scripture says. Perfect love casts out all fear because when you walk in the revelation of how much you're loved by God, there can't be room for fear in your life. Because if, you, if God loves you, the Bible says this, that he didn't even spare his own son. In other words, heaven went bankrupt to save you. It gave its most valuable possession, his own son. And what he's trying to say is he's saying, there's nothing that I wouldn't do for you. So while we're worried about all of these insignificant things, God is saying, will you trust me? Will you allow my perfect love to cast out all fear? I know you're worried about money and the bills, but I got that. I know you're worried about your future, but the future's in my hands. I know you're worried about this and worried about that. But God says, are you aware of how much you're loved? Because you know what? I got some really good news for you. You may go through some hard times. We all go through hard times. We go through sufferings. We go through trials. But Romans 8 says this, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Not Anything ever. Anything. So fear, tormenting fear becomes so unnecessary because I don't have to live in tormenting fear when there's a God in heaven that loves me so much. There's something about love that gives you confidence. God loves me. He's going to make a way. Yeah, I, I have to make choices. I, I, I have to make the right choices. I need to do this. I need to. Yeah, but you know what? He's got it all under control. He's got it all under control. I'm going to close with these few scripture readings. David says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me 
beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup, you anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. And I want you to say this, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Someone say, all the days of my life. Someone say, all the days of my life. And finally, Philippians 4, it says this, finally, brethren, whatever things are true. Someone say true. So see, fear is a lie. So the, I can't entertain a lie. And so in, in Philippians 4, Paul gives us permission to not even pay attention. He says to only think whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure. Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good, of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Someone say, meditate on these things. Someone say, meditate on these things. Do you, all fear is, is meditating on the wrong report. Paul in Philippians 4 gives us permission. Are you ready? This is really good news. He gives us permission to only think about good things. Do you hear me? He gives us permission to only think about good things. So I I don't have to deal with fear any longer another day of my life. Perfect love can cast out fear. I can walk in the confidence that I am deeply loved by God. And I can set my affections on the good things that he has. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Will follow me. Someone say amen. Amen. I want to close with this. This is a a psychological fact. They say, so, so fear will keep you in torment. It will keep you in this mode to where you won't be able to find any solutions. But they, they say the key to change in your life is not focusing on what you don't like. They say the key is to focus on what you want to change, right? What happens in your brain, it's, it's amazing that Paul says in Philippians 4, like, he, like, like if he were alive today and see this, this research, he says, only think of things that are just or good. They say what happens whenever you, whenever you set your mind on good things, your mind actually starts to create new neural pathways. What happens is when you're living in fear, the reason why you can't find solutions is because because your mind believes you can't do it, your brain doesn't look for solutions. But they've, they've, they've proven that when you believe that you can do something, your mind actually clicks in and starts to help your body find solutions. How many know that God wants to put us in our right mind? Because he wants to, he wants to take us from being on the defense to the offense. Not on the defense of your life, but on the offense of your life.